This is the World in Brief from The Economist. Our top stories. Boris Johnson, Britain's prime minister, announced his resignation as leader of the Conservative Party. In a defiant speech outside 10 Downing Street, Mr. Johnson said that next week the party would announce a schedule for the election to replace him. He added that he intended to remain in office until the conclusion of that contest, which could take months. Mr. Johnson said he was sad to be leaving the best job in the world, but that he was immensely proud of his government's work. Unemployment claims in America reached a six-month high at 235,000 for the week ending July 2nd, the Labor Department reported. The numbers may signal that layoffs are rising amid an economic slowdown. Multiple big employers, including Coinbase, Netflix, and Tesla, announced workforce cuts in recent weeks. Ukraine raised its flag on Snake Island, a strategically important landmass in the Black Sea, one week after Russia's withdrawal. Separately, Ukraine summoned Turkey's ambassador to clarify why Turkey had allowed a Russian vessel carrying Ukrainian grain to leave its port. Turkey's customs officials had previously stopped the vessel at Ukraine's request. The European Court of Human Rights found Greece guilty of not effectively investigating human rights violations during migrant pushbacks. In Safi and others v. Greece, the applicants claimed that a Coast Guard vessel, in pushing them back towards Turkish waters, had caused the migrant boat to capsize, resulting in 11 deaths. The court ruled that Greece had breached the right to life and the prohibition on torture. China reported fresh COVID-19 clusters in Beijing, Shanghai, and Xi'an, accompanied by mass testing and new restrictions. Shanghai, recently freed from a draconian lockdown, logged 54 infections, while over 300 cases were reported in Xi'an. Residents fear more lockdown measures as the country maintains its zero-COVID strategy. Brittany Griner, an American basketball player, pleaded guilty in a Russian court to a drug possession charge that could carry a 10-year sentence. Miss Griner was detained in Moscow in February, allegedly in possession of vape cartridges containing hashish oil, which is illegal in Russia. Russia has denied accusations that the detention of Miss Griner was politically motivated. The heads of American and British security services warned about China in their first-ever joint statement. The director of the FBI claimed China meddled in foreign businesses and elections and called it America's biggest long-term threat. The director general of MI5 said that its work to counter Chinese activity has doubled in the last three years and will double again. And fact of the day. 54,000, the number of words in Chile's proposed constitution. And now here's a deeper look at the day ahead. Indian tech grapples with the global slowdown. On Friday, India's second most valuable company, Tata Consultancy Services, will report its quarterly earnings. TCS was established in 1968 
to provide financial and technological services to other businesses in the Tata Empire. Indian technology firms had a good pandemic as international companies turned to them to digitize their operations. But TCS's results, likely to show squeezed margins, will illustrate the sector's recent change in fortunes. In the last financial year, Indian software exports reached an all-time high of $150 billion, or 5.6% of national GDP. McKinsey, a consultancy, estimates that salaries in India's tech sector increased by 20 to 30% over the past year. But things have since cooled, largely because of the slowdown in the West. America accounts for at least 40% of revenues for Indian tech companies. J.P. Morgan Chase, a bank, is bearish on the sector. Some stocks are down by more than half on their 52-week highs. The industry will be watching TCS closely. Why Russian Inflation is Different Like most countries, Russia is suffering from high inflation. Consumer prices are about 12% higher than they were at the beginning of the year. But Russia's experience is different from other places in two important ways. The first is the cause. In most countries, inflation is the result largely of rising energy prices. America is dealing with the effects of excessive fiscal stimulus. But prices in Russia are surging because of the collapse of the ruble in February and March and the Western sanctions imposed in the wake of its invasion of Ukraine. Both have raised the cost of imports. The second difference is that, unlike in most countries, inflation in Russia is slowing. Weekly prices are falling. Thanks to capital controls, the ruble has started to rise. The central bank has jacked up interest rates, reducing demand. And Russia has enough cheap oil to last a lifetime. The economy still looks rocky, but Russia's bout of inflation is probably over. Less hiring, please. America's job market. Companies, investors, and government officials normally love a surprise on the upside in job creation figures, taking it as evidence of economic vigor. But when America publishes its employment data for June on Friday, they will be crossing their fingers for signs of softness instead. The labor market is exceptionally tight, with nearly two job vacancies per unemployed worker. That has fueled wage growth. A weaker patch for hiring is needed to help bring inflation under control. Forecasters expect to learn that America added about 270,000 jobs last month. That would be the lowest total in a year with wage gains also moderating somewhat. By itself, that would not be enough to declare victory over inflation, but it would suggest that the economy is moving in the right direction. A cooler jobs market without yet tumbling into recession. Still, achieving that balance will only get tougher in the coming months, as higher interest rates weigh on businesses and consumers. Lebanon moves to deport Syrian refugees. There are 1.5 million Syrian refugees in Lebanon, 
exiles from civil war in their home country. Their host wants to send them back. This week, Issam Sharaf Eldin, Lebanon's minister for the displaced, unveiled plans to expel 15,000 Syrians per month. He hopes to begin deportations within months. Around 90% of Syrian refugees in Lebanon are in extreme poverty. Many live in informal settlements. But Lebanon has troubles of its own. GDP has plummeted by more than 50% since 2018, and many Lebanese blame refugees, from Syria as well as Palestine, for exacerbating the economic crisis. Last month, the head of Maronite Church called for a final solution to the problem of refugees on Lebanese soil. Lebanon's government is uninterested in objections from refugees and human rights groups that they would be expelling Syrians into danger. Indeed, Mr. Eldin insists that Syria is now safe. But this week's news plunges Lebanon's army of refugees into fresh uncertainty. Judgment Days for Football's Ex-Supremos I'm in a good mood, Sepp Blatter told a Swiss court last month. For an 86-year-old facing up to five years in jail, Mr. Blatter, the former president of FIFA, football's governing body, appears surprisingly sprightly. Mr. Blatter stands accused of fraud, criminal mismanagement, and forgery. Michel Platini, the former head of UEFA, the European wing of FIFA, is also on trial, charged with accepting a fraudulent payment of $2 million authorized by Mr. Blatter in 2011. Both men deny wrongdoing, maintaining that the fees were part of a gentleman's agreement. Their verdicts are due on Friday. Yet there was little gentlemanly about FIFA under Mr. Blatter. In 2015, several of its high-ranking executives were arrested in Switzerland on corruption charges dating back two decades. And this year's World Cup, to be held in Qatar in November, was tainted by allegations of bribery in the bidding process. After the verdicts, FIFA executives will at least be glad to see the focus return to the pitch rather than the courtroom. Daily Quiz Our baristas will serve you a new question each day this week. On Friday, your challenge is to give us all five answers and, as important, tell us the connecting theme. Email your responses and include mention of your home city and country by 1700 BST on Friday to quizespresso at economist.com. We'll pick randomly from those with the right answers and crown one winner per continent on Saturday. Friday Which U.S. state is separated into three grand divisions? Thursday. Which city hosts the annual Nobel Prize Awards? The winners of last week's crossword. Thank you to everyone who took part in our weekly crossword published in the weekend edition of Espresso. The winners chosen at random from each continent were Shankar Subramanian, Chennai, India, Katya Solain, Cologne, Germany, Daniel Cosio, Cochabamba, Bolivia, Jane Gose, Kihei, Hawaii, USA.
Andy Cayley, Bunbury, Western Australia. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Paula Danziger, who died on this day in 2004. Don't forget things that were painful or embarrassing or silly. Turn them into a story that tells the truth. That's The World in Brief from The Economist, available three times every day of the week. You can also hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, on your podcast app. And subscribers to The Economist have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app to start listening.